Psalm 20. For the director of music, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. Well, like Brian said, it's the first Sunday after New Year's, and so as a preacher, it's my duty to talk about New Year's resolutions. You know, I don't really want to, but I'm pretty sure if I don't, I'll get a call from the bishop or something saying, Stephen, what's going on? So, like it or not, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Do people ever actually make New Year's resolutions? Come on, fess up. You won't have to say what it is, but has anyone here made a resolution for this year? Excellent. We're topical as usual, as we can see. (laughs) If you were going to make a New Year's resolution, I wonder what it would be. What would it be? I, uh, the, the problem with New Year's you know, coming so soon after Christmas is, like Brian said, often our resolutions have got to do with the partying of the last few weeks. I jog with a guy whose resolution is to lose 10 kilos this year. So let me put it another way. If you could ask God for anything this year, what would you ask him for? What plans do you want to succeed this year? What are the, the desires of your heart that you'd love to see come to fruition? A better house, less stress, restored health, finding work or changing jobs, making friends maybe, a romance, a closer family. Now some of us are probably sitting here today struggling to think of of what we'd request from God. But for others, you know already exactly what you'd ask for because there's a pressing, urgent need in your life right now. There's something that you'd love to have fixed or to see changed. Well, today we're looking at this ancient song that's all about bringing requests to God. It's all about asking for the desires of the heart to be granted and for plans to succeed. But It's not a song about our plans or about our desires. It's a song about the the plans and desires of an ancient king. It's either written by King David or it's written for King David, which means that this is a song that's about 3,000 years old. And in some ways it's it's a very simple song, but in other ways it's quite tricky. It's tricky because to understand it properly, we've got to cross three millennia of barriers. We've got to cross language, culture, geography and political barriers. But if we can do that, then 
this song, it's not going to make our problems disappear, but it can change how we view them. Let's start with what's simple about this ancient song. It's a song about the King of Israel seeking God's help before going to war. Now, the people are gathered and they actually sing the first half of the song, starting in verse 1. And they sing, May the Lord answer you, that's the King, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. And the rest of the song, if you glance over it, it makes it clear that the king's distress is that he's facing war. So verse 1, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse 2, may he send you help, grant you support. May we shout for joy over your victory. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. This is a song that's written to be sung in the temple or the tabernacle by the people of God and their king when they're facing a time of war. Now, if this king was sitting here today being asked what his New Year's request for God would be, it'd be simple. It wouldn't be less stress. It certainly wouldn't be losing 10 kilos this year. His request would be, please don't let my enemies invade the land destroy the villages and kill us all. The desire of of the king's heart that we read about, that his plans, his request for God would be all about God giving him victory over his enemies. Now, it's pretty simple in this song, once you've read a couple of times, to see that that's what it's talking about. But what's tricky for us to get is to, to actually get our heads around what that would be like to be in their situation. We don't feel we live in that kind of world where war is, is real and terrifying. We actually do live in that kind of world, the same sort of world as theirs. You know, if you lived in London during the Blitz less than 80 years ago, then you'd have less trouble feeling this song. I was um, a couple of months ago at my hairdresser's and uh, his mum often just sits there in the background and um, he's an interesting guy. I think half of my sermon illustrations come from my hairdresser. But uh, she's Greek, and um, as I was talking with her, she told a story about how when she was a girl in Greece, she had to flee her hometown as the Nazis invaded, carrying only her cat. I don't think she'd have any trouble feeling the urgency of this song. Even now, if if we took a summer holiday to um, Syria or Crimea or Afghanistan or any number of places in this world we'd come back with a very different perspective. We'd feel something of of the desperate urgency that they would have felt singing this song. Judah was a country that was surrounded by enemy nations. There was Edom, Moab, Ammon, the Philistines. Assyria was a, a growing superpower above them. Egypt was a superpower below them. War for them was reality. And their survival depended on them being able to repel their enemies. So they would have had lots of times where a song like this song, Psalm 20, this call on God to be with them in battle, they would have had lots of times where they used a song like this. And in Chronicles 2 Chronicles 20, we actually see a situation where a song like this is used by the people. Three nations had joined forces against Judah, Edom, Moab and... um, and Ammon, and um, they were marching towards Jerusalem to destroy them. And so King Jehoshaphat and the people gathered in the temple 
and they call out to God in, in language that's actually very similar to this, this song that we're looking at today. God had promised his people that if they trusted him and if they stayed faithful to him, he would always answer their cry and, and give them victory over their enemies. That was his promise to them. It's not something that God promises the nation of Australia or America. You know, this was a promise for the nation of Israel back then. And it was a promise that God made because through them, God was unfolding a plan to bring, bring peace to the whole world. And so this is the song all about God's people Israel turning to God when facing war and asking him to act on their behalf to save them. And in this song, we get to see how it is that God acts to save his people. And this is our first point. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. Halfway through the song, in uh, verse 5, the singer of the song changes, goes from all the people gathered singing together, and it changes to probably the priest or the prophet. And they say at this point, now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Here's God's plan. God acts on behalf of his people through his anointed. Now, anointed, remember, is a title that means Messiah or Christ, that's the title. It means God's chosen king. And that's why in this first half of the song, the people are singing to this king. So glance over it and you see, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. That's the king. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices, your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. This is all the king that they're singing to. God had promised that he'd act through his chosen king. And so God's people are calling on God to remember his promises and give the king victory. We might wonder why God has chosen to act this way. Why even let his people face war at all? The short answer is that God's people faced war because they failed to stay faithful to him. When they stopped worshipping him, God stopped protecting them. He handed them over to the realities of their choice to reject him. And war is one of the awful realities of a world that's rejected God. But God being God, every time they turned back to him, every time they called out to him, like with this song, he kept showing them mercy and saving them again and again. That's the kind of God he was and the kind of God he is. We might also wonder why God doesn't just completely spare his people having to engage in war at all. You know, they, they call out to him. Why not just remove the threat completely so they can stay safely at home? Did you notice that the king leads them in prayer, but then he leads them in action? He marches out with them. He doesn't lead them in prayer and then sit back and do nothing. We sometimes do this. And we can even think it's more pious to do this. The other day, one of my kids got lost riding in Linear Park, uh, which is understandable. I've been lost in there many times myself. But they were lost for about 45 minutes. And after about the 15-minute mark, that's when I started to really start to feel worried and imagine scenarios. 
Faced with a situation like that, you've got a few options. You can either ride around like a lunatic trying to find them and then call the police at some point, which I did. Or, second, you can pray that God would bring them back safely and then ride around crazily trying to find them and call the police if you need to. I'll I'll tell you what I didn't do, though, in that situation. What I didn't do was pray and then jump in my car and drive home for a cup of tea. Was that less pious of me? I think it's very common for us to do the first option, isn't it? You know, we often jump straight to action and, and forget about praying. That's common. But sometimes we really do do the third option. We pray and we expect God to act while we sit back and do nothing. Like we might pray for someone to come to know Jesus, but we wouldn't dream of, of being the one to actually talk to them about Jesus. Or we might want to break some sin or some habit, but we don't act in faith. We don't do anything about it. We don't tell someone that we're struggling. We don't take any steps to overcome it. Notice in this song what the king does. He prays for victory and then he marches out for war. And his people, they don't stay behind cheering him on. They march out behind him, lined up behind him. Faith comes first but the actions of faith follow. Even with Jehoshaphat, if you know that story in 2 Chronicles, chapter 20, when they march out for war, God actually causes the three nations to turn on each other so that when the people get there, they don't even need to fight. But still, they marched out for battle. Now, if you're someone who jumps straight to action, then this song is a reminder how God works. He chooses to work through our prayers. He really does. But if you're someone who prays and then does nothing, this song is a reminder that faith takes action and maybe there's an area in your life where God is calling you to take action. Notice also, though, that God doesn't withdraw His people into a bubble. He protects them. But He doesn't withdraw them from the real world of conflict and, in their case, war. The real world is a world in desperate trouble and that's the space that God chooses to act in. Sometimes we think we can live in a bubble as God's people. For some reason, we think we can live free of the problems of this world. That's not the way that God gives us victory. God doesn't withdraw us from the problems of the world. If this world faces mess and violence and sickness and war, then God's people are going to face that mess too. Our victory in this life, it doesn't come by escaping from these things. Not yet. Not ever, actually. Not escaping from them. Our victory in this life comes from God confronting these things and overcoming them. And this brings us to our second point. The Lord gives victory to His people through His anointed. We see this in verse 5. See, the people sing, May we shout over your victory... And lift up our banners in the name of our God. From God's point of view, the way that He's chosen to relate to His people is through a representative. He brings victory to His people through His anointed, His chosen King. Now, we struggle with this idea a bit because we're incredibly individualistic as a society. 
So much so that at times we can nearly be delusional. We think we have the right to almost complete self-determination. We think we can be whatever we want to be, do whatever we want to do, whether it's in the realm of gender or sexuality or just deciding what's right or wrong. We've even made truth relative in our minds. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. The individual is king. For some reason, we don't realise that we're simply conforming to our culture around us and ironically, just falling into line as individuals with what everyone else thinks. And we fail to see that our individualism is not so wonderful and powerful as we think. And apart from making us unhappy and and causing all sorts of breakdown in society and families, it's also just not true. We don't determine even half of what we think we do. And most importantly, God does not agree that the individual is king. He doesn't agree with that. God views us as either belonging to his people because we belong to his anointed, his chosen king, Or he views us as rebels who have asserted our rule over his rule. In other words, enemies that he will take down. Now this was true for them and it's even more true for us. Victory comes for us only in God's anointed. For them it was a human king in Israel. For us it's a king who is God become human. God of the whole universe. Now, for many people, it seems laughable that we'd put our trust in God. You know, it's okay to have religion as a life enhancer on the side, but if we seriously live as if life is all about Jesus, if we we put all our eggs in the one basket, all our hopes and, and, and dreams and joy in Jesus and look to Him for victory over all of life's problems, that's sad and weak in the eyes of many. And this brings us to our final point. The Lord's victory is unexpected to those who don't know Him. Look at verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. These were the the tanks and, and the aircrafts of the ancient world, the real military power. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. To trust in God's name is to know Him. It's to know His character, to to know His track record. It's to know that you really can entrust your future completely into His hands. Now, to their enemies back then, it sounded laughable. To uh, one enemy in Hezekiah's day, a general in the Assyrian army, he literally laughed at them as they were inside their city walls. And he said, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can even put riders on them. But when 187,000 Assyrians fell to the plague in their camp, they weren't laughing. To some today, it sounds laughable that we would put our trust in Jesus. It sounds laughable that victory for us is Jesus coming back and restoring this world. Victory is Jesus getting rid of pain and sickness and sadness and war and death for good. It sounds laughable that that we would be living right now for that. 
The flavour of our time is trust in self, it's trust in our own ability, trust in our money, our security, our health. But God's plan is Jesus. Jesus might seem weak, He, he might seem unexpected, people putting their trust in Him might seem silly, but, but it's not actually. I mean, think about it, money comes and goes, health disappears frighteningly quickly, relationships tragically can be broken so easily and then they all end in death and separation, none of these things will raise us up. None of these things will stand forever on their own. It would be silly to think that they could. But Jesus is different. In Jesus, we have a king who conquers his enemies by giving his life for them. We have a king who lives forevermore to ensure that we will be victorious, that we will live forevermore. Look at the picture of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 at the very end of the Bible. This is what John writes. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. Jesus wages war on evil and wrong. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. This isn't a name like Cecil or Francis that he wants to keep secret. Jesus' name is unique because he is unique. He has a name that that no one else is, is worthy to share. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. No one else has spilled their blood for the salvation of the whole world. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. That's the people who are victorious because Jesus has died for them. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Yes, God is angry at our rejection of Him. Yes, He's he's angry at the mess that we've made of His world. And we're either His enemies or we're following His anointed. I don't know what your picture of Jesus is like in your head. I'm guessing it's probably not quite like that. But this picture shows the true kind of king that Jesus really is. And tattooed on his thigh is his true identity. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God gives victory to his anointed and he gives victory to us through his anointed. That was true for them but it's even more true for us still today. So in this year, 2019, can I encourage you to look for victory in Jesus? That's the only victory that's going to last. Because I don't, I don't reckon we're going to look for it in Jesus by default, actually. We'll look for victory in other places by default. Apparently, the new passion of Australians is home renovation. I don't know whether that rings true in Adelaide or not. But it's, it's kind of what consumes many of us. 
My brother-in-law works as a builder in, in Melbourne for a company that markets, them some, markets themselves somehow to do renovations for the rich. I'm not sure what their sort of slogan is. That could be good, renovations for the rich. It sort of has a ring to it. But he said to me the other day, frequently he will finish a job, a renovation job, and then have to turn around and start again. Not because he's done something wrong, but because when the people he's working for see what it actually looks like, they don't like it and they want to change it. Now, that's over-investing meaning in home renovation. But, you know, we could do the same sort of thing, that same sort of over-investment to think that our home renovation is going to fulfill us and make us happy and give us what we're looking for in life. This year, let's look for victory in a better place. By all means, let's renovate our homes, but let's not expect them to fulfill us. It's not like they're going to last into all eternity. Lined up behind Jesus, King of Kings, our home renovations are probably not going to be the topic of conversation. His victories in our lives are going to be the topic of conversation. Another way we often look for victories is is by projecting them onto others, our children, usually. And victory for us can mean them succeeding in sport or school or just in life. But again, these kind of victories don't necessarily last into all eternity. You know, the other day, our um, hot water system broke. And a friend's son, uh, who's about 20, is an electrician. So I rang my friend and and, um, asked if his son could come around and have a look at it. And he did, and he fixed it. And then he wouldn't let me pay him for it. And he kept saying to me, just give the money to church. What kind of 20-year-old says that? (laughs) That's victory. That's true victory. Not that my kid becomes a doctor or a lawyer, definitely not a lawyer. (laughs) Victory is that Jesus has won them to live for His glory. Again, lined up behind Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the topic of conversation is is probably not going to be, do you know my son has a PhD? Verse 5 says, may we shout for joy over your victory. And then it says, may we lift up our banners in the name of our God. God's people have victory through God's chosen King. And Jesus' victory is our victory. We get to share in it, a victory that lasts forever. So what's your heart's desire for 2019? What are your plans? Is your plan to pray and then take action behind this King, lined up behind Jesus? Is, is our heart's desire to raise banners in His name or are we seeking our own victory, seeking to raise our own banners? Let me give you just a couple of examples to finish of what it might look like to seek victory in Jesus this year. It might mean this year wanting to see my kids growing in their relationship with God for Jesus' glory. So what do I do? I pray for them. I entrust myself and them to God. And then I act. I I model to them grace and love and truth and patience as I follow Jesus' lead and as I urge them to do the same. Or maybe this year I, uh, I want to see friends and family come to know just how great Jesus is. What do I do? I pray. I entrust myself and them to God. And then I act. 
I, I take steps of faith and, and talk to them or share links or books or invite them to things. Or maybe this year I want to seek victory by serving in some victory for Jesus, by serving in some new ministry. 2019 for us is, is a year of serving God together. Maybe I decide I want to throw myself into some new ministry challenge, kids ministry or helping run the life course that Scott talked about or pastoral care. So what do I do? Again, I pray, I entrust myself and my ministry to God and then I take action. I throw myself into it, investing time and energy to see Jesus glorified, to raise a banner for His name. Or maybe this year I really do want to renovate the bathroom but in a way that glorifies Jesus. So what do I do? I pray, entrust myself to God, don't need to put a little cross in the tiles, that's fine. But I take action following Jesus' lead, not over-investing meaning and passion and time into the project to the point of neglecting family and work and church, but remembering where true victory lies. Or finally, maybe this year I want to overcome some health problem in a way that glorifies Jesus. What do I do? I pray, entrust myself to Jesus and then take action might mean I'm miraculously healed, it might mean I'm healed through doctors or it could mean that I surrender myself to Jesus no matter what that means, maybe patiently bearing up under the burden and allowing my hope in His victory that's coming to grow stronger and stronger. See, God doesn't promise that whatever problems we're facing will disappear right now but because of Jesus' victory that He won at the cross they will be overcome when He returns. And those who line up behind Jesus, we will share in His victory and we'll share in it forever. Let me pray for us. Father, You know our hearts, that they're so touched by selfishness, by rejection of You, despite what You've done for us in Christ, even though You've given us Your Holy Spirit, Yet still we are drawn at times to to live for our own victories, to live for things that don't last. Lord, help us to find our meaning and purpose and joy in life in Christ. Thank you that the victory He's won was for our sake, that He conquered our hearts by dying for us to make us His people, that He lives right now not to subject us to misery but to Enable us to live forever, to know true joy as we know you. Lord, we pray that this year, 2019, that we would live for Jesus and his victory. We pray that you would give him victory in our lives. Lord, that our lives would raise banners that glorify him and point to what he's done at the cross. Point to his resurrection and his eternal rule. Lord, help us to figure out what this means in our own individual lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.